When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award winning service has a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, joined here today by a guest I've really been looking forward to for a long time. Been following his posts. His name is Jim. You know him better as Jim Zipcode from the RSR boards. And Jim, how are you doing today? I'm great, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful to have you on. I've been, I've been, as I say, looking forward to this. And you, you had a great post on RSR about Miles Boykin and his targets, 22 targets, I believe, in 2019. And you detailed every single one, really a, a review worth reviewing. It's, it's at a very well done level. And I always like 
all-inclusive reviews like that that look at every possible situation that aren't hand-picked highlights. Right. Yeah, I think that it's, you know, you can pick two touchdown passes and he looks like the greatest player in the world. And if you're not looking at the other other passes where, you know, where he makes a drop or doesn't run the right route or something, you're not you're not getting a picture that you can really use. Exactly true. So I, I would like to have you kind of drive this conversation. You, have, you provided some fantastic bullets in here, and I'd like you to kind of introduce these points one at a time. I'll make some uh, reflexive points and comment on your stuff here, but I thought this was so good. I really want to let you drive the uh, drive the car here. Okay. Well, so I, I think I'd like to start with what I see when, when I look at him, and w- what I see is a smooth, fluid athlete, um, a guy who has excellent size and power, and, and sometimes when he plays, uh, some things just look easy, uh, which is not common. Um, so that's kind of his upside. He, he shows great hands from time to time. He plucks the ball very cleanly and naturally away from his body. It almost looks like the ball's coming home when it gets to him. Yeah, there, there's. I, I agree with most of that, and I just want to. We're going to occasionally have a contrary point here, but the one thing about his hands is you can't have good hands occasionally. Right. That's one. Of, that's one of the issues with Boykin. You've you've correctly identified some of the reasons why he hasn't made catches, and you're you're going to get into that. I don't want to steal your thunder on that, but occasionally it almost looks like his frame is too big for him to easily collect the ball. And I, it just his, his arms almost look like he's not he's not really collecting the ball very cleanly. One of the things that came up in particular in the preseason was he got a lot of targets in the preseason and he yeah. had very few catches. It was like I, I forget what his actual number was, but at one point he was like four of nine and it went mm-hmm. from there. And he he did not seem to be the same bad ball catcher that I thought Lamar would need after his 2018 accuracy was what right. it was. Right. I think that um, what I saw in preseason, and not so much in the regular season, but what I saw in preseason was a guy who um, looked like he was trying to do too many things at once, you know, like coordinate the movement of his feet with bringing his hands with him. And 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 sometimes he wasn't ready for all of that, especially maybe in the first two preseason games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I, but, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I I wasn't sure if you were done or not. Uh, I, he did have some, you know, some real difficulty catching the ball in those games. Uh, I thought he adjusted better as the season went along, in particular yeah. the catch at Seattle is one that I remember where he really caught that outside of the frame, you know, having to drag himself back to the football almost. Well, so so are we are we still talking about the preseason or have we moved into the regular no, season? No, I, I, and I don't mean to, to trample on a point you're going to make later, but I was, I was trying to point to a catch he made outside of his normal frame during right. the regular season. The, the yeah, guy yeah. in two, 2018 who did that a lot was Chris Moore. Great bad right. ball catcher. I thought he'd be a bigger part of the offense. And he's been the preseason hero and the camp hero in particular. seems right. like the last couple of years. But yeah. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. Um, so I guess um, I what I'm thinking is, is when I, when I look for a guy who's catching, I want to see consistent tracking of the ball and consistent use of hand positioning, right? And so like a kind of active hands positioning is where you have your, your thumbs toward each other rather than your hands kind of in basket position with your pinkies next to each other. Mm-hmm. You've got your thumbs together and you're actively tracking the ball and the hands are moving together. 
And what I see in the regular season from Boykin is him doing exactly that. So whether the ball's in the right place or the wrong place, like he's consistently using the correct technique. You know, he's not lost as to which hand goes where. Um, and, and so I think that his technique is extremely consistent catching the ball. I think that sometimes his route running is a little tentative. And so you see places where he doesn't get physically to the location where he needs to be to finish the catch. But he's using the right, like, you know, the hands look fine. It's just that his feet haven't gotten in there. You know what I mean? Yes. And, and But I'd like you to, to, to give us a good example of that. All right. So uh, one place where his feet didn't really get him to the right place, this is in the, the second game against the Cardinals. And he ran a crosser right in front of Lamar, and he was completely uncovered. And, uh, and he was wide open, right? And so Lamar throws him the ball. And I think that if you if you look at that play from the end zone view and I'm really tempted to take like a comic book style thought balloon and draw it in over Boykin's head as he's running that route. And I would write in that balloon, you know, what what his feet seem to say to me is, does Lamar see me? I'm right here. Maybe I should slow down and wait for him, you know, and and Lamar plays a little bit like a great point guard, you know, who looks away and then looks back, you know, he looks away from the throw he's going to make. And, uh, you know, so you can't trust his eyes. If you're the receiver, you have to run your route. And, uh, so on that particular play, we see miles slow down and Lamar throw the ball to where Lamar to where Boykin should have been, you know, a step or two ahead. And so Boykin misses that ball. He gets maybe a fingertip on it. Uh, and that, you know, you could call that a drop to me that the hands were fine there. It's just that he didn't get, you know, his route running didn't get him to where he needed to be because he was, you know, thinking he was a little tentative. Great point. Great point. I would probably call that a drop, by the way, because it's his fault, you know, in that yes. sense. But, but the other point about this is sometimes bigger receivers in particular are kind of looking for an open space on the field, even when it's not zone coverage. And I don't mm -hmm. remember if that was the case there, but even sometimes if it is zone coverage, you still need to continue your route when there right. is more open space in the zone. Yes. Uh, so I, I, I've had the, um, the thing that you said about calling that a drop because he should have caught it. Yeah, I, I, I've had that argument with um, Ed Romeo on the RSR boards a lot, and he's done a lot more scouting than I have. And so maybe you guys are right. It just seems to me that we always think of drops as hands, right? Um, but like you, you have to get your frame where it needs to be. You know, you have to, you know, your your legs are the little the treads on the tank, you know, or that are carrying you, you know, the turret of your of your trunk where it needs to be. And if you don't get there, you know, you can do everything else right hands wise and miss the ball because you screwed up elsewhere in the route. Yeah. Outstanding point. Outstanding point. Let's 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 keep going here. What else you got? Well, uh, there's other cases, I think, where his and, and I think we really want to use the word tentative in talking about his route running. So in that same game against the Cardinals, there's a deep pass down the left sideline outline outside the numbers. And, and, and Miles Boykin won right off the line of scrimmage. He got good position on his defender. He had him on his hip. You know, he was open. And then I don't know what happened next. And again, I would love to put a little thought balloon <laughs> over him, comic book style. He's, he's running down the field. You know, he looks back and, and it seems to me that he slows down. And I would love to know what he was thinking right there. 
and the the defender reestablishes position. So instead of Miles Boykin stacking the defender, kind of controlling him with his hips, being in front of him to control the route, instead he kind of slows down. The defender wins back the position, and it leads to an incomplete pass that uh, uh, you know that should have been completed. Yeah. That's uh, that's a that's a great one, and it's really in strong juxtaposition to the throw that won that game on the other side of the field, the mm-hmm. one to Marquise Brown, where right. he did an outside job of squeezing the defender to the inside of the field for as long as possible yep. on the third third and whatever third and ten, and then going diagonally to the sideline at kind of the last possible moment to make that game winning grab. But it's yeah, exactly Mar- he didn't take good advantage of his position there. Boykin did not. Right. Yeah, Marquise, I think everyone would agree that Marquise was a more kind of polished, confident, decisive player uh, on the field and, and in roots, you know, much more so than than Boykin was this past year. And, but, and it's strange because Boykin physically was on top of his game. It's just uh, the, Boykin's receiving skills were not yet at the same level. There's a trust mm-hmm. component, too. There's a there's a. a some of it is Lamar not wanting to throw outside the numbers, but mm-hmm. Boykin's receiving skills, I've you know, I've said, is the most important player, along with Ferguson, this offseason to improve their position-specific skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when you talk about uh, Boykin being extremely important, I think I agree completely with that. And it's not because Boykin is better, you know, than Marquise or better than Mark Andrews, but it's because of the extra thing that he can bring to the offense, you know, on the sideline, outside the numbers. You know, that's kind of the missing piece. You know, that's the next step, the next level piece for this offense. Yeah. All right. Let's let's keep going. What up? What give us some other great points? Well, so, you know, we've we've kind of harped on things that he did poorly. I'd like to talk about some stuff that he did well. Uh, You look at him on his 2019 tape, especially the first 10 to 11 games of the season. And he can run sideline outs to various depths kind of effortlessly. So five-yard outs, 12-yard outs, 18-yard outs, he can really work that sideline, and and defenders don't seem to be able to stop him. Okay, well, I I love the receiver who can run a great hitch or, or stop and come back on the sideline. It may, Derek Mason could do that, no doubt yeah. about it. Joe Flacco's rookie year, the throws to Derek Mason on the sideline, those, those comeback routes— we're yep. the absolute bread and butter of that offense. Flacco has a more powerful arm than Jackson to get the ball to the sideline. Jackson yes. is a little bit um, uh, uh, hesitant to do so. And given the great interception rate, I can't say he was wrong. Right. But the other, how Boykin can help that is by being that great stop or go receiver where he, he has a fear of God. Uh, second move there that, that mm-hmm. the, the defensive back really doesn't know if he's going to go deep. That'll create those back shoulder opportunities. And Mason really had that. Yeah, Mason was uh, Mason had those just super sharp cuts. He was really decisive. He uh, was such a professional. You know, he knew exactly what he was doing. And I think that he gave. I imagine that he. I mean, Joe never lacked faith in his arm, right? But I think mm-hmm. Mason gave Joe some uh, extra confidence in throwing those particular routes. Right. I, uh, I agree. They had, they had trust, and he knew the back shoulder throw that Mason was going to be ready for it, even if he threw it before the break. Right. So Boykin doesn't win that route with the same kind of razor-sharp crispness that Mason had, but Boykin can get that route because um, he's fast, and teams have to sit. To a certain extent, defenders have to sit on his speed. 
You know, he was a four, four guy at the combine, uh, you know, and so defenders to a certain extent, you see a lot of like eight, 10, 12 yard, even cushions at the snap with Boykin because defenders have to respect that. Right. They, they definitely, uh, other teams, they have to give up something to Jackson. And one of the things they've been willing to give up is the outside. Yeah. As you mentioned, I think it, that's really the next step for the Ravens offense is to take advantage of all that space outside the numbers and create more value out of their speed inside from it mm-hmm. and take advantage of these big receiving advantages they should have outside the numbers. Right. Spread the defense out to side to side. And now you've got you know more room in the middle for Mark Andrews, got more room in the middle for Marquise. All right. What else you got? So another thing that I think Boykin did really well is that he showed he really did a nice job of staying alive on extended plays. He showed really good scramble or safety valve instincts, you know, and he kind of stayed alive so Lamar could find him. Yeah, we've talked about that on on previous shows a number of the time. But all three touchdowns, the one against the against Miami was basically a double back shoulder throw. If you want to see it, the way I look at it is, Andrew saw sorry Jackson saw two backs in the end zone one i think was Rowe, the other one was definitely minka and he threw the ball back up to the middle of the end zone which is a big empty spot where right. boykin was the only guy who could have gotten to that ball and uh, lamar waited to throw that ball until boykin looked at him yep so he so it's it's the slot machine payoff you see the eyes of boykin and back back from those two dolphin players yep that was a, that was a great one the the uh Cleveland touchdown was a complex route where he was actually the primary receiver, but he he rubbed off two mm-hmm. separate times on that play, turned for the football, it was right there, and he knew what he was doing that play. So did Lamar all, all the way. That that play actually is a great example of Lamar in the red zone making his own space to extend yes. the play, and it's why the Ravens really don't need to run normal red zone routes. Yeah, because Lamar can keep a play alive for an extra, you know, two seconds maybe, much longer than uh, a less mobile quarterback. Uh, yeah. And a quarterback with worse feel could do. Yeah, the the arm angles as well, the, the arm angles create a lot of value that, frankly, Joe Flacco didn't have. And I hate to do Flacco bashing and even Flacco right. comparisons because they seem like bashing. But Flacco, despite his height, didn't mm-hmm. get the full value out of that because he didn't move to make a throwing lane uh, the way Lamar can, and he didn't adjust his arm angle to make do a you throwing think, lane. Do you think that Joe was a more um, improvisational player early when he was young? You know, there's there's certainly stuff early on in his career where he, he didn't make the same kind of attempt to stay in the pocket and make a play. And I'm thinking of the Pittsburgh game in 08, where he had a 12.3 second uh, uh, snap to throw time on a play. Yeah. Uh, I know you probably remember the play as well. It was in that Monday night game in his, I think his third week in the NFL. Uh, but- uh, I remember him. So uh, this is a, a weird aside, but I used to coach my stepdaughter's basketball teams when she was in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. And, uh, and I had to do a lot of reading, you know, teach myself a lot about that game. And so I see a lot of, you know, I've never coached football. I've never played football. I don't, I don't have that on the field insight that that maybe some people do. So I tend to see some of these things through the lens of how you might tell a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things about Joe as a rookie, one of the things that immediately gave me comfort, and I think this happened very early, maybe that that Bengals game, was he he um, had nowhere to go with the ball and Todd Heath was close to him. 
maybe five yards away, a little in front of him to his right. And Joe looked at Heap and did not deliver the ball. And Heap made one of those impatient gestures that you make with two hands like, (laughs) and Joe rolled away from Heap. And you could see Heap like, you know, just looked like he had question marks over his head. Like, what's going on? Joe rolled away from him a few yards, gained a distance and then threw it to him. Which to me was a great like spatial awareness kind of play, you know, like you're actually too close to me right now for me to throw it and create a tactical advantage. You know, I'm going to roll away from you and create some space, draw a defense and then deliver it to you. And, and that, you know, it's always easy as a fan, I guess, to read too much into specific plays or something, but that showed me right then, like I, I really saw some like spatial awareness and game sense and positional strategery, you know, and Joe from that play. It's, it's almost like penetration and kick out in basketball. Yes. It's very, very much like that. It's also very Jackson-esque in terms of football because Jackson will often motion a receiver in the opposite direction of the role, which is yep. unheard of. You, yep. you, you have a, there's a whole set of rules for going to the sideline, who goes deep, who goes shallow, all that stuff. But Jackson really is looking to throw the ball back to the middle of the field, a lot of that, which is supposed to be not anything you'd, you ever risk. Right. But, he, but he knows how to create that open lane. And uh, and so far has not been burned on it with some interceptions. That's uh, it's uh, nice to see that he's been good about holding on to the football when it's appropriate. He looks like a basketball player when he does that. He's using his presence and his movement to create space in the defense, and draw, you know, open a gap and then throw against the grain against that grab that gap. Yeah, very much so. So the, the, the third TD I wanted to mention, the, the one against the Jets was another uh, extended play where, where oh, yes. um, you know, he, they both made space on that play. But Jackson mm-hmm. made, additional, made additional space that created the throwing lane out to the right. And Boykin made sure he was available for that low throw and as far outside as he could get. And it, yep. was, it was really a thing of beauty. They made it look easy, but that was, that was anything but. And if Flacco throws that football, that's probably intercepted. Okay, not Flacco. 26 NFL quarterbacks, if they throw that football, it's mm-hmm. probably intercepted under that yep. circumstance because they haven't maneuvered to the proper position. Yeah, that um, that throw, that makes me want to just like kiss my fingers and make the wah gesture, you know, like a, like yeah. you would for a French chef or something. I mean, that that's and I think, you know, we talked about Boykin's tentativeness running routes, and that is not an example because because Boykin ran you know, all the way across the field. And if he had stopped or slowed at any point, he doesn't get to that final destination in time to catch that ball that Lamar has really very softly kind of placed out in front of him like a soap bubble for him to run into. Yeah, it was a, it was a well-thrown ball. I think I also like the fact, that play particularly, that uh, Boykin went down for the football to, mm-hmm. to get it up. And that's going to be one of the things as a big receiver he's going to need to show he can do is to get, is to get down for the football. Because a lot of times that... That's the perfect place to throw it. And I know Mark Andrews likes the ball up, head high, helmet high yeah. pretty much all the time. He always is looking to make a play after the catch. Not saying there's there's not receivers who should who – should, not every receiver shouldn't start by thinking that. But a lot right. of times the only, the only window to throw is going to be low where you have to dig that ball out. And the throws to Andrews, particularly over the middle that have been high, have some, been some of the balls that ended up being intercepted because yeah. they get tipped or they get you know, whatever, particularly the Tennessee game. I think that high over the middle of the field, that that just sounds dangerous, doesn't it? I mean, that's an opportunity for a tip. Uh, That's an opportunity for a receiver to get his arms over his head and get his ribs broken. Your single high safety is in the best position to to make 
his ball skills felt when you right. when you throw anywhere between the numbers and and high. <laughs> so Boykin caught another one of those low balls, and this was against the Rams, but it wasn't Lamar who threw it. It was RG3. And uh, Boykin drove up the left sideline, and then he had to kind of turn around and sort of fall down to let the ball get him in his stomach because the ball was sort of low, a little behind him. Okay. I'm remembering two catches from that game. One of them was from RG3, or I remember one catch, I should say. I don't really, I'm not having the visual memory of yours that normally comes on a play, but you've, you've loaded these all up, so I'm sure you're right. But the, it was the high ball down the left sideline that Boykin went up for that really impressed the hell out of me in that game. It is, that, it is that game, isn't it? You just you just did the twenty six gifts on it or twenty two gifts or whatever it is, but he <laughs> he went up high for about a, a it was about a thirty eight forty yard grab down the left sideline. It went up real high to get it. Okay, this is the Rams. You think? I I, I am seventy two percent sure, <laughs> <laughs> which is as, as good as I could do in this situation. No, I don't think uh, he got a lot of targets in the Rams game. I I they threw to they threw one to him on fourth down when they were driving left to right. I think it was the third quarter. And it was a fourth down, and uh, Boykin ran kind of uh, like maybe a, a little hitch to the right. Uh, and Lamar rolled right, you know, rolled that way and, and threw to him. This and was then, definitely down the left sideline. So I, I'm yeah. going to the game logs. We don't need to interrupt the show. Please make okay. your next point, and I'll, we'll come back to this one. Um, so, uh, you know, when you talk about, like, staying alive on extended plays, uh, you know, we, 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 made, we talked briefly about, that one favorite play of, of that Joe made in 2008 against the Bengals. To me, when you see people stay alive and and show good scramble or safety valve instincts, to me that that says awareness. You know, that says vision. And and and, and a guy who has that like quality on the football field, that's a guy who can contribute, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, he's uh, uh, he's got awareness. That's that's clear. Uh, it's it's about you know a lot of it is about how to use his body right. in all the ways you use your body to 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 make yourself available to make the defensive back unavailable yep. to put your hands in the right place. It's like a golf swing. There's an awful yes. lot of moving parts. And and to hear him that he got the jugs gun and bought it with his own money over the winter, <laughs> yes. very good good sign. So um, we talk about his physicality and using his body. We should probably also spend a minute about on him as a, as a blocker downfield because this is a guy who really made his presence felt in that aspect of the game. Absolutely. I, you know, so many things I like about him as a run blocker, and I don't want to steal points that you're going to make here, but one of the things is how positional he is because <laughs> yeah. he's very quick. And yep. a quick player who's also big does not need to give up his feet or even his body when right. blocking. Now, what I mean by that is you got a smaller man. The guys, the guy who who might be trying to cover you is probably 20 pounds lighter. Might yep. be a safety, might be a corner, whichever it is. You keep him at arm's length. You can you can you can you can keep him at arm's length. You can position yourself relative to that receiver or runner, whichever it is, downfield, and you can make a, get a lot more value out of the length and size you bring to the table. We really saw that some this year. Yeah, and so there's a you know blocks aren't usually highlight plays, right? But but one highlight play where where Boykin's blocking showed up was Gus Edwards' 60-yard touchdown versus Houston. Yep. And and so Edwards is running down the left side of the field, and uh, the guy who comes in the frame is Boykin, and Boykin is stalk blocking the Texans Jonathan Joseph, and he does it for about 30 or 35 yards, and really 
keeps Joseph off of Gus, like all the way down to the goal line. And Joseph is not, you know, a chump. This is a two-time pro bowler. This is a good football player. And Boykin is just keeping him from being a factor the whole way down the field. Uh, very impressive. And, and it's like it's like watching a lineman, you know, finish a block effectively, except downfield, there, are, there probably is less chance to really finish a block against a defensive block back in space like that. Right. So you right. have to you have to really maintain a block differently by not yes. giving up your feet, by not getting lungy. It's so yes. one of the things in the offensive line articles I write about is is how offensive linemen, once they get into level two in front of screens, oftentimes get lungy. They're, mm-hmm. they're usually good on combination blocks where they're just going directly up to hit a linebacker, and the linebacker is trying to take that same lane directly back to the runner. But when they get into level two and there's defensive backs around and, and you know they're not even sure who they're supposed to block, it's like they try and find somebody and they, and they will often get lungy in space and give up their feet too quickly. Do you think their instincts defeat them there? Because they're not used to dealing with the agile, quick guys. They're used to, to dealing with the big guys. And, and I think so – counter to like say maybe miles boykin running with a defensive back where miles thinks he can stay with the db as as long as his play develops you know marshall yonda for all of his skills he's not staying with luke keekley for 10 yards you know like if, if he's going to make an impact on the play it almost has to be decisive right he, he wants to well he wants to get to the body quickly and stay yeah. there so yeah. and, and he can finish that with a pancake or he can he can continue to push him but yeah i agree is that you you get a um, and this is a lot of what Roman's offense seemed to include last year was getting uh, lighter but still uh, big and fast players mm-hmm. like Hurst and like um, Boykin into mm-hmm. level two and three to make blocks. The one guy who's, who's on the line who is tremendously agile in level two and three is Stanley. Remarkable yeah. at getting downfield and making those kind of blocks for alignment. He's very gifted athletically. He's more athletic than the other guys, certainly more so than Orlando Brown Jr., all right, I do have the play for you. It's quarter four, 838 of the Rams game. Third and eight, a 39-yard pass down the left sideline to Boykin. Isn't that RG3 throwing that ball? It was. RG3. Okay. All right, I, I, I thought that, so I remember Boykin turning around and kind of catching that in his belly and stumbling downwards, not so much skying for that. Am I misremembering that play? I think so. That's he definitely skied for that ball. That, or okay. that's the way I remember it. In Q3, 218 in that game, he had a 15-yard catch. That was from Lamar, and I have no idea. I don't have any visual memory of that play. That was fourth down. Yeah, that was the one where Lamar rolled right. That's down. right, fourth and four. There you go. So you know, one thing I think about. So you know, as a Ravens fan, in our constant, you know, 20-year thirst for the prototypical number one X <laughs> receiver. You know, we don't imagine getting one of those guys and then being thrilled to talk about his blocking. That sounds counterintuitive, you know, but again, I want to bring it back to basketball just because I know what I'm talking about a little bit there. If you had a talented but raw big guy, a forward, you know, a low post player who maybe wasn't super polished, and you had to get him involved in the game, you would say, okay, big fella, let's go out there, and I want you on the on offense, I want you to set screens, get rebounds, and score on putbacks. We're going to keep it simple for you. And it doesn't it feel a little bit like the Ravens did that with Boykin? You know, we, we got something that we know you're good at. Let's get you acclimated to the game. Let's get you into it. Here's what you're going to do for us. 
Uh, yeah, that, that could be it. I'm trying to really think about how much of this was Lamar, how much of it was Roman, how much of it was Boykin himself not really uh, creating the kind of wide-open opportunities that he did yeah. play after play. I mean, Boykin did play a lot of snaps last year, but he also played a lot of the running snaps, and he wasn't always in there on third and fourth down when Snead and Roberts were more commonly in the game mm-hmm. on those downs. Very so, experienced players. Yeah. Experience possession receivers and yep. Roman has already talked about this year going to an offense that is multiple personnel groups, which, by the way, makes a lot of sense, given they have an entire stable full of slot ponies and, yep. and less in terms of outside receivers. But, so many running backs yeah, and all the running backs. But it, it should really allow them to basically tire an offense out in one of the two ways that's available. So the basic two ways are you bring three, four, or even five different eligible receivers on the field each down. Because your linemen always stay, your quarterback always stays. There's five yep. positions you can substitute on offense. So you do three, four, or five. That's what the Saints did for a lot of the last decade, is they, they had multiple personnel groups and they did that. And it wasn't that Drew Brees couldn't run a no huddle. It's just that that was an effective way for them to use the assets they had, a lot of the multiple running backs, a lot of the, the many wide receivers they had, and use them most effectively. Well, do you Ravens, mean that they are that, that they're rotating personnel groups so that they always have, like, we're talking about the Saints now, they always had fresh bodies in there yes. so that the coverage personnel just kind of got wore out. Yep. Yep, that's All exactly right. right. So if you do, if you run the no huddle, the basic aspect of the no huddle is if you make a change in personnel, the defense gets to react. Right. So the, 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 the umpire, the referee, will actually stand over the football and allow the defense to substitute before you're allowed to snap that ball if you make a substitution. So right. You, uh, you, you're you're forced to play the same 11. So the Brady, Manning, no huddle, sugar huddle, whatever you want to call it, they, they would call the offense at the line of scrimmage was so effective because they didn't let the let the defense rotate into pass rushers when they were having one of these continual short passing drives. And and it made it all the more effective. What they were in, what they were great at, like and, and you see Brady doing this uh as recently as last year against the Ravens, and you saw Manning do this all the time, late career Manning, mm-hmm. is that if the situation was favorable to a run, they would audible to a run, uh, even though they that wasn't what they hang their hat hang, hung their hats on. You know, they were great tactical guys who would audible to whatever the weakness was. Yeah, very very true. A lot of like, all the all the reading ability of those guys. It's really hard to even. Uh, uh, condense that down to a few sentences because because it's, it's an awful lot of things they did right, right. To, to be who they are. And Lamar still has a long way to grow in those areas, which I think is actually a good thing. It's it's a it's better to have a 350 hitter in baseball who struck out 150 times than a 350 hitter who struck out only 50 times if both of them are say 24 years old. Because mm-hmm. that big strikeout guy, he has a lot of room to improve his contact mm-hmm. rate, and his batting average on balls in play will probably stay similar. And so you actually will pick up a, a, a you know a number of points of batting average and and the other things that go with that uh, in a player like that. And so Lamar having a lot of room to improve still as a quarterback is still very exciting to me. Isn't that insane? I mean, this is a guy who yeah. is the MVP and has scratched the surface of playing quarterback. In terms of being a field general, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he's got all the physical tools. He had a great year for not making mistakes with the football. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. I mean, he's got he's got a lot to gain. Now, I don't think he's ever going to have as good a season again. That's my own personal opinion, because I think the the amount that the other teams have to gain is so incredible in terms of how to defend him. They have so many ways in which they can get better at defending him. It'll naturally 
not relate to his good stats for Lamar, but that's just statistics. Lamar is going to become a better football player and that's going to offset some of the gains that defenses make against him. Yeah. I see what you're saying in terms of, you know, the MVP doesn't have a whole lot of upside to grow usually and defenses were so overmatched kind of schematically that they have a lot of opportunity to make up ground. Uh, which I think I think that's the point that you're saying, right? Like Lamar might not yeah. be as far ahead of the rest of the league for the rest of his career. Uh, I want to turn that around a little bit and look at his age, though, because this is a kid who just turned 23. And, you know, you and I had a brief discussion about age curves kind of prepping for this uh, podcast. And if you do any kind of growth projections, I mean, it doesn't even it doesn't it's it's mind boggling. It doesn't bear thinking about to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I, I agree. But I think, you know, frankly, Lamar Jackson is that special athlete who is like Babe Ruth, who mm-hmm. is like um, Babe Ruth is probably the best example. But Muhammad Ali might be another is that okay. he brings something that is so different to his yeah. sport at a given time that, that all the confluence of his circumstances, the way the game was generally played before him, and yeah. how he came along and changed the rules completely allowed him to stand out in bold relief from the rest of history. And in yeah. Ali's case, he's very similar comp because he he read opponent leverage every well every bit as well as Lamar does. And Lamar is the is the one of the greatest athletes ever at doing it. Um, yeah. it's he's not just he's not just basically. Um, trying to figure out how he beat you. Lamar Jackson doesn't even run at full speed very no. often on a football fan. He runs at a very controlled, I want to make my next cut speed. And the, the uh, that's why you don't, you don't even see him running away from defensive backs, but it doesn't matter because he can see exactly how that opponent is leveraged out on his foot and take advantage of that to make him do what he doesn't want to do or take the route he can't possibly uh, yep. stay up with. So that... God, <laughs> this is not a great format because I want to say about seven things in response. <laughs> Sorry to what about you that. Just said. No, yeah. not at all. Uh, so I, I think that uh, let me say two things as <laughs> as moderately quick as I can. And one is that that thing that you're talking about that 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 ability to see leverage he does that in the passing game too. You know, he he's always oh, yeah. throwing the ball to a place that makes the receiver run away from the defense and to open grass, even if that's not where the receiver had meant to go before. And it's almost like he's operating his guys by remote control. He's, he operates way ahead. I mean, uh, Dan Orlovsky had a great video of his touchdown to Snead against the Rams. It was like a, a third and goal from the six, I think, or something mm-hmm. like that. But it was, a, it, was a, it was approximately that distance. And he looked across at the five. They, they ran five wide. And – you could see the five receivers that the defensive back had taken improper outside leverage on Snead, which mm-hmm. basically gave him an easy, effectively as a mini slant route to catch yeah. for the touchdown. And and it was, uh, it was a great thing that, that Orlovsky pointed out was that, that Jackson read that line of scrimmage right at, right at the line. At his age, you know, that's something you expect from Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Peyton Manning. You yeah. don't expect it from a 22-year-old quarterback. The other thing I want to say kind of, uh, to what you were saying before is it's interesting how many different sports we're talking about when we try to grope for comparisons for, for Lamar. So you just talked about boxing and Muhammad Ali and, and earlier I talked about basketball. And when you talked about uh, Lamar deploying his speed, kind of rationing it out as necessary, you know, rarely does he have to go full throttle. You know, in, in, in horse racing for the Kentucky Derby, they talk about tactical speed. You know, a horse who 
who can accelerate and decelerate, you know, doesn't always have to run at top speed, but can kind of tactically, you know, throttle up and throttle down as necessary to work into the spots to get an advantageous spot, you know, on the rail or whatever. You know, how many different sports do we have to grope to for for comparisons for, for this guy who you know, is just such a one-off football player? It's, it's, it's truly remarkable. And, you know, some of what we're going to see, I'm not even sure how much Jackson's speed will have to degrade before it's not an asset anymore. Because he's, I mean, just Hurst ran 20.5 miles per hour at top mm-hmm. speed, which was the highest run by any Raven this last year. Now, Lamar yeah. Jackson had plenty of open field running, but particularly on scrambles where he mm-hmm. left the pocket and, and he, at least 10 yards of that is bolting high acceleration uh, level. It should take him to speeds that might be approaching that. He never got, well, I don't know if he ever got close to it, but he, but I don't think he ever hit 20 miles per hour on the year. And that's, you know, it's, it's a testament to what he's always trying to do to the next defender is line him up, position him, get him off leverage and beat him to one side. Yeah. I, I, I've often wondered about Lamar if his uh, is his top speed really any better than everybody else's top speed, or is it? I say I'm going to say merely. Is it merely that his acceleration and change of direction is so amazing? I th- he definitely has a high acceleration level early, and that's what's really important to beat that initial guy and and, yeah. and beat the beat your win your leverage read basically. And the you change gotta, of you direction, identify, yeah. And change and of direction, yeah. yeah. But I, I, I would know. say I, I don't I don't I don't really believe the 434-40 time. It's mm-hmm. it's one of these ones, you know, pro day 40s. I just don't believe them that they're always collected consistently with the methodology you have at the combine. That's fair, yeah. And and I just they they tend to be exaggerated and they tend to run several, so they take the best one of what might be an exaggerated one. I think Lamar is probably a low to mid 440s guy, which is by the way flying. Yeah. It's absolutely flying. Right. And, yeah, I, you know, there's 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 no shame in that sort of sort right. of thing, and it doesn't even begin to tell the story Not of how fast he, his game speed really is. Yeah. So uh, the the lazy comp for him when he came out was Michael Vick, and I remember thinking of the two of them as runners. I kind of thought that Vick maybe had greater straight line speed than mm-hmm. Lamar, and Lamar gets to top speed much more quickly and has just insane wiggle and change of direction more so than Vick did. Yeah, I, I and he's definitely a much better leverage reader than Vic was. Although, you know, Vic Vic tried to win with speed more than Lamar wins with pure speed. Lamar makes the other guy step wrong and takes advantage yeah. when he's already stepped wrong. Which is such a high degree of smarts and perceptive, you know, perceptual reading and cognitive ability. It's a whole different kind of game that he's playing. It's interesting. RG three was at the podium last year and claimed that he had he had better straight line speed than Lamar, and I'm not sure he's wrong. I'm not, I'm not sure, sure he could either. not run him in a race. Yeah. Let's get back to Miles Boykin for a little bit. We we got a great side tangent. I'm sure people are going to love to hear that one. But but let's talk. Let's finish up with Miles Boykin. And this is uh, crazy too because how much you know you and I were dead focused on Boykin like getting ready for this podcast and we still couldn't help ourselves from talking <laughs> yes. about Lamar. Um, we've discussed a little bit about stuff that Boykin needs to improve, and that stuff is there. Uh, and I don't want to pretend it's not, but in terms of length, I wonder if uh, we should go to kind of my idea of Boykin's see- season dividing into two parts and then maybe talk about projections. Sure. All right. So 
to me, you look at the first 11 games of the season, and game 11 was that wonderful poetic display against the Rams. And Boykin's season, you know, Boykin's productivity, that first, I'm going to call it half, but it was 11 games. That first half of the season, his productivity was kind of amazing. He was extremely productive on a per-target basis. Uh, he had a really sexy yards per target figure of over 10, and that's Amari Cooper territory. It's Kenny Galladay territory, who led the league in touchdown catches this year. Let me just say then, that 10 yards per target is an amazing number. Lamar, uh, sorry, um, Mark Andrews set the all-time Ravens record 11.04 in his rookie year. Yeah. There's only been three other Ravens ever, ever at 10 yards per target. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's, it's remarkable that a player like Boykin could be there even over a half a season. Yeah. Uh, now it's, 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 you know, he didn't get the highest usage, you know, it's, it's not the same number of targets. So it doesn't mean as much as a player who was getting a really heavy target load, but it's, it's notable, I think. And then the next game was against the Niners and he, and he was on the injury report that year with an, that game with an ankle. He didn't miss the game. He played it, but, but it's interesting. He had not been on the injury report before he was that week. And from that game on, for the whole rest of the season, to me, he was a different player. He's much less productive the whole rest of the season. Yards per target around three, which is <laughs> not to be insulting. That's worse than Chris Moore was. It's only four, four targets for 13 yards, but I agree. So only four targets in the last five games is bad. Well, so I'm adding in the Titans game as well. Okay, and then he had seven targets for right. how many? 26 yards, right. Okay, so he had, he had 11 for 39. Yeah, that's that's bad. Yeah. And so, I mean, you want to know what happened, right? Yep. And as fans, all we can do is speculate, you know, and, and I can't help it. Um, and so I think, you know, was, was the ankle worse than expected? Uh, did the ankle maybe affect his confidence and, and you know, just, just, just his, his mindset wasn't correct for the rest of the year? Or was it just uh, ordinary rookie wall that happens to a lot of guys? You know, or was it all of that? I don't know. Yeah, could could be. I mean, obviously, I, I'm more concerned about the number of targets than anything else in the last mm-hmm. five games of the regular season. One of them was RG3, and he was 0 for 2 in that game in terms of getting the ball. I, I would be tempted to really want to look at those and see if did RG3 throw off target, did he throw away in his general direction, what might he have done? Because obviously they were being very careful with the football. But yeah. it, the other thing is, you know, route for route, what what was happening on those routes? What Why was he not getting open kind of to review those would be what I'd like to do. And I don't have a play number either. Oh, no, I do. Offensive snaps. So he's, he was playing a little bit less in those games, 25, mm-hmm. 18, 19, and 27 offensive snaps for those four games that Lamar was still in after the Rams. Right. It's uh, I didn't look at plays where Boykin was not targeted, you know, when I went through. There's uh, <laughs> so many of those plays. Sure. It was difficult to get a handle on that. but I. I will note that there are a couple of plays that Lamar did not get targeted where he was wide open for a touchdown. And um, I don't think that that's anybody's fault. You know, like uh, Lamar went to Mark Andrews and, and got a first down on the, on a couple of those plays, you know, that's fine. I think that in any offense, especially any very successful offense on a given play, you might find a couple of guys open, you know, and the quarterback has to pick one. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know that this lack of productivity is all necessarily because Boykin wasn't doing his job. Right. It's I, I, I it would it requires more study at the very least, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, but it's certainly not encouraging. And so we have, you know, we have kind of the bright beacon of the first 11 games of last year to look forward to in terms of projecting Boykin for this year. And we've got kind of the cautionary tale of the last five regular season games plus the playoff games. You know, that's not the Boykin that we want in 2020. We want the, the guy from the first part of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think at least from a health standpoint, if that was the explanation, it would kind of be a good thing, provided obviously it's not something that's still there. Yeah. If he had, if, he, if an ankle was bothering, it'll probably be okay in um, this coming season. And you'd hope that he'd be starting fresh and, and have a healthy season. Yeah. So you want to talk about projections? Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I got kind of maybe three tiers for him. And the first is a conservative projection. And I would think that if he, we would look at maybe him getting 60 targets this coming season, which is about three times what he got last year. And that's about 540 yards and four touchdowns. And I get to that just, that's sort of just adding Boykins and Seth Roberts production from this past year. Right. I will say he had nine yards per target during the regular season. That's a yeah. tremendous number. I think yep. he can probably come close to repeating that, but there have not been many receivers in Ravens history who've been able to. Now, most of them didn't have Lamar Jackson throwing to them, but still, there have not been many who've been able to. Yeah, and and this is a guy who'd be the number three option in your offense after Marquise Brown and after Mark Andrews. So, sure. you know, so so that kind of production is great, uh, you know, for us. My big jump pro- projection, and 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 Roman, as Greg Roman and and John Harbaugh both talked about a big jump, and that's 80 targets, 700 to 800 yards, and maybe seven plus touchdowns. It's it's optimistic to be sure. I would love to see it happen. Uh, I kind of think to get 800 yards, he's going to be need about 90 targets. Maybe. That he would that'd be nine yards a target basically. Uh, I I got caught making an off the cuff estimate on uh, on uh, the radio a couple of weeks ago, and and you know I realized already I'd over projected it in, in in my optimism for Boykin to say you know I I'm kind of hoping maybe you can get to 800 yards, but it's really 90 targets, and and that's that's an awful lot of targets. I agree with that. Not just for him to jump by, but I'm not sure how you get the available targets when you start dividing out Lamar's expected passes among all the receivers the Ravens have to feed. I agree, a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, and so my aggressive projection would be if something bad, you know, if something were to happen to Marquise Brown or Mark Andrews. Uh, and, and I think that's how you start to get to 90 or 100 targets if, if, if the Ravens have to force feed Boykin because one of their other main guys isn't available. Uh, yeah. Yeah, very, very big possibility. I did. I had a great uh, podcast the other day with another guy. I had I think that the fantasy consensus for him was about. I want to say it's 450 yards, but it's some relatively low amount. I'm going to see if I can try and find that before we get off air here. I would but, buy that. That that strikes me as a little low. Uh huh. I took the over, but yeah. uh, but but I remember whatever it was. It might even be lower than that. Uh, I will be able to find this. I just need to need to take a moment to do it. So uh, uh, let's see what we got here. All right. Uh, I don't want to hold up the show in terms of this, but but uh, any other points you'd like to make, Jim, about about Miles Boykin this year? I just think that he's such an asset. Uh, I think that he's unlike, I think he's a lot more like what Ravens fans have been looking for at the wide receiver position than we think. And I think it's easy for fans to look at kind of the bottom line season totals, you know, and see a guy who has maybe 200 yards on the year and think that that's what the player is. And I think that we are fooled by volume in that, in that situation. And this is actually a, a player with a much higher upside 
than the raw volume totals would lead you to believe. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, certainly he's one of the players on the Ravens, and, and there are several because the Ravens are generally a young team, but he's one of the guys with really tremendous upside in terms yep. of what he could do. I mean, you could Duvernay, you could put in in a similar category, I suppose, not really knowing. If, if your projection is already for Duvernay to get 800 yards, well, then there's no upside on that. <laughs> but right. if, you're, if, if you're looking at, at Boykin's last season in terms of how much he could jump forward, there's there's definitely uh, substantial room for growth there. And if he's the guy who who is last man standing, as you suggested, in terms of, of the natural injuries that will occur over the course of the season, he's got a good chance to put up some really big numbers. Well, yeah, and I would be looking like maybe DK Metcalf territory at that point, if, if that were the situation. He's, you know, he's a physical comp for Metcalf in many ways. I mean, they're both combine studs uh, who have, you know, the, the combination of size and and, uh, uh, and athleticism you just love to have at the position. So, yeah, it'd be great. Boy, can actually, I mean, yes, that's absolutely true. The size and the, and the, and the time in the 40, Boykin actually was much better than Metcalf in the agility numbers, like the three-cone score and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Their yards per target were the same this past year. That's that's good. Metcalf had a, a you know a, a very good rookie year, despite you know what Ravens fans got to see of him against Seattle. The, right, make, make, make the big fumble at the end of the game. But yeah, he's, I, I I I was shocked. Metcalf lasted as long as he did, and I guess he was drafted how many picks before Boykin was in nineteen. Uh, it wasn't that far. It was like it was like DK Metcalf went. I, I want to say at the end of the second round. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and Boykin went, I think, in early mid third. Yeah, it went about 80, 83, 86, something like that. So sixty fourth overall for DK Metcalf, and uh, and then it was eighty three, I think, for Boykin. Yeah, make it. That's not right. It is ninety ninety three for Boykin. Metcalf plays with a lot more assertiveness you know, at the catch point and maybe through his roots than we saw from Boykin. Uh, I would say the talent level, they're not dissimilar. I would argue that, you know, Boykin is a little better in terms of agility and stuff. But the other factors also come in play. You know, if, if from what we've seen from Metcalf as a rookie, if, if he and Boykin had similar career paths and they're both the kind of receivers that, that fans of either would hope they are, I'd, I'd be thrilled with it. We would all be thrilled with that, yep. All right. Well, Jim, absolute pleasure to have you on. This is a great oh, discussion. I, I enjoyed it so much. We, we will have you on again, I guarantee you. This is, is great discussion. People, fans are going to love this, and I'd love to have you uh, on any topic of your choice. This is, is a great discussion. All right. Well, great. Well, thanks again. It's super fun for me, and I look forward to coming back. All right. You can find Jim's stuff again on the RSR boards. He often posts over there. Uh, I'm sure you can get in contact with him by email or, or by DM on, the, on those boards if you like to. A lot of great posters on the various boards around time. So give them all a visit uh, when you do. Uh, and we do want to make sure we plug the opportunity to get on a film study short. So we had this great discussion with Jim. I tend to seek out people on boards, but please, if you've got an idea and you want to talk to me on the show and do a 30-minute show with me that often will end up being longer if it's a good discussion, then please just send me a direct message on Twitter and we'll arrange for it. Also, if you're doing a study and you want to find out available sources of data, how to maybe both streamline what you're doing, uh, happy to talk with you about that as well. Anyway, I uh, hope you'll, you'll give me a shot. Jim, thanks again for coming. and We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Hey guys, real quick. Father's Day is coming up, and Manscaped is the gift for your dad. They're supporting today's episode. Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done quickly, safely, and hygienically. Father's Day is right around the corner, and you probably need a gift for your hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Perfect Package. Because you know what they say, like father, like son. We love Manscaped over at Film Study and over at Section 336. We're excited that they are bringing a great deal to you. By using the code BIRDLAND, so that's BIRDLAND with a B, you will get 20% off and free shipping on anything over at Manscaped. Uh, I've got the Lawnmower 3.0 right here. It's awesome. Very impressed with it. I, uh, As a guy that cuts my own hair as well, on the top of my head, I wish they covered that. But this Lawnmower does an excellent job. And I'm really excited. Just ordered their new Weed Whacker to give it a try also, which is your nose and ear trimmer. Uh, they make great products, great blades. Go check it out. As Manscaped says, your balls will thank you. So remember, get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIRDLAND at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code BIRDLAND. After all, it's dad bod season and it's time to get smooth. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.